Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. We're in Torah study number 39 uh, this morning. And uh, today, it's in Numbers 19, today we're going to talk about Jesus and the power of the red heifer sacrifice. And uh, as most of you know, our goal with our weekly study of the Torah portion is to unite the wisdom of God from the Old Testament uh, along with the revelation that we have as New Covenant believers. Uh, and when we do that, we form a more perfect union. <laughs> Amen. And really, it's our goal is all part of the Bible's goal. Uh, even though replacement theology kind of screwed things up, pardon my French, uh, but the, the, uh, the prophecy out of Ephesians is, has always been God's goal. That... Uh, the Jew and the Gentile would become united to form what? One new man. Jesus came to break down the middle wall of partition to form one new man. And so, uh, this uniting, new beginnings, Pastor Larry is leading the charge to help facilitate this uniting. Uh, so Jew and Gentile, are, we're on a track, and down the road, we're going to become one spiritual people, finally. And uh, so uh, what we're doing is helping to uh, bring back the Messiah by tearing down walls that, of religious hostility and misunderstanding that have separated us. And so the fulfillment of the prophecy leads to an amazing fulfillment of an amazing promise. And it's also in Ephesians 2 that when Gentiles come together with Jews and both groups, one representing the law and the prophets, one representing the apostles' doctrine, with Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, the chief cornerstone, uniting the two, God promises that He will pour out the Holy Spirit at such a level that signs, wonders, and miracles will be like what we've never seen before. And we're seeing that happen even now. All right, And we're building momentum towards that. So one of our goals, of course, then is to locate topics and themes and revelations in the Torah study that show the positive relationship between the Old and the New Testament. As we jokingly say, Jesus and Moses aren't in heaven having fistfights over what's right. All right, There's a unity there. And so uh, one of the great books that uh, launched us into this journey uh, back in the mid-90s is Our Father Abraham from uh, Dr. Marvin Wilson. And one of the key points that he makes in this book is that uh, Christianity needs to begin to see the Old Testament uh, 
uh, or excuse me, the New Testament as a continuation, not a termination. Okay, and so that's what New Beginnings is all about. And so today's teaching is an excellent example uh, of what we're called to do in this uniting old and new together. Because here we see what, who's ever heard of the phrase, a shadow of good things to come? The shadow wasn't stupid. (laughs) Okay, right? The shadow wasn't, oh, God made a giant mistake, so he sent Jesus, the giant eraser, to erase the Old Testament because it was a giant mistake. All right? And so uh, the shadow of good things to come uh, is seen in what God gave Israel in one of the most mysterious Old Testament commandments there is, and it's the laws of the red heifer. Who's ever heard of the red heifer, the red heifer sacrifice? We've covered this uh, each year in one way or another for many years. I'm sure if you went back in time, got in your DeLorean and uh, went through the old podcast on the uh, New Beginnings page, you might find older teachings. I'm going to break some new ground uh, this week. But hidden in this teaching are some key principles that I really believe are going to flood you with strength, with revelation, with wisdom, and uh, knowledge about God's plan. And so uh, let's get into this. Speaking of the red heifer sacrifice, uh, I uh, had found this in the Jewish encyclopedia, and it says, the burning of the red heifer with its blood the crimson that was combined with it, and the red color of the animal animal itself uh, alludes to the power of the blood to overcome the power of death, which threatens both the sanctity and the existence of the Israelite camp. Did you catch that? All those legalistic Jews. Yeah, right. It's taught that the red heifer sacrifice alludes to the power of the blood to overcome the power of death. Now we're talking about something very powerful here. And it's very mysterious. It's rarely taught on the red heifer. It's perhaps the most powerful sacrifice God ever gave. The ashes of the red heifer were the antidote for overcoming contact with death. All right? This is saying something. It's a brilliant representation of the redeeming power of Jesus Christ. And we'll get into this a little bit more. But as a result of what Jesus did, and it was a shadow, the red heifer was a shadow... Of what of the good thing that was going to come through Jesus brings us to the point that you and I as believers can have absolutely, uh, we can be absolutely certain that we have power over death. That's the ultimate enemy. Death is the ultimate enemy. It's the most profound fear that most people have. The fear of death. 
And it's the most dangerous enemy, obviously, that we're ever going to face because it's irreversible unless you have Jesus Christ. Then death is not described as death. It's described as she's just sleeping. (laughs) You're just sleeping. Right? So if death is the wages of sin then this sacrifice of the red heifer uh, points us to the power of purification and the power to overcome death. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. And Yeshua gladly paid the price with his sacrificial death, not just as the Passover lamb, all right, not just as the daily sacrifice, not just as the Yom Kippur sacrifice, but also as the red heifer sacrifice. All of those things are rolled into one And through Yeshua, it becomes a once and for all eternal sacrifice that covers us from head to toe and from A to Z. Now our job is to take that wisdom, internalize it, and begin to express that in the way we talk and think. Right? Thank you for saying amen. Let me read about this in Hebrews 9. A very familiar scripture in Hebrews 9. This is from the complete Jewish Bible. When the Messiah appeared as the Kohan Gadol of the good things that are happening already, Kohan Gadol, the high priest, then through the greater and more perfect tent, which is not man-made, that is, is not created of this world, he's talking about uh, what's going on in heaven. Build the earthly tabernacle designed after what I showed you is in heaven, Moses. But the Messiah, verse 12, entered the holiest place, the holy of holies, once and for all. And he entered not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus setting people free forever. Now here's where it's more than just ink on paper. you got to internalize this. Jesus' blood has set me free forever. And no devil, no religious false teaching, no kind of feeling or opinion or philosophy is going to change that. It is written, I am set free forever. So get fired up about that. Especially when you're facing a mountain. Because you're either going to get buried by the mountain, or you're going to see that mountain cast into the sea. How many want to see more mountains cast into the sea? Then declare this. Verse 13, if the sprinkling ceremonial... uh, 
For if sprinkling ceremonially unclean persons with the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer restores their outward purity, how much more the blood of the Messiah, who through the eternal Spirit, who offered Himself to God as a sacrifice without blemish, will purify our conscience from works that lead to death so that we can serve the living God. Why do I need to be set free? Why do I need to understand red heifer stuff? Why do I need to go back and get all of this foundational stuff in place so that you can have the correct theology? And the theology is that through the blood of Jesus, you are set free from every enemy that comes against the the gospel and the people of God, including death itself. And so this addresses the fear and finality of death. Look, we all have been touched by death in one way or another. And it's a tough scenario. And... It creates a lot of hurt and a lot of pain and misunderstanding. And it can emotionally cripple people for life. But see, that's because we don't have the right understanding of what Jesus did as the red heifer sacrifice. So death and fear of death and how death cripples us emotionally when one of our loved ones goes on to be with the Lord, all of that can whack us out. But you are not called to be whacked out. You are called to be whole. He came to make you every whit whole, even when someone has passed away. A lot of times, that's why people in funerals, Christian people that are grounded in faith, they they know that this isn't the end. He's not dead as you suppose. She's not dead as you suppose. They're just sleeping. There's going to be a reunion. We're going to see them again. Why? Because Jesus was not only a Passover lamb, he was the red heifer sacrifice, which is the antidote for death. So God, knowing this, he institutes a sacred ceremony. And it bypasses the limits of human knowledge and science. How can all of that work? Why does all of that mumbo? That's just superstitious stuff. No, it's not. God instituted something because through that it will work. Did it work? Yes. Did the things God gave Israel work? Yes. But because now Yeshua embodies it all, we can overcome the fear of death. And if our heart was broken because we were touched by death and the emotions of that became so overwhelming and it just, even now, if it's still sitting on you, Jesus said, I'll heal your broken heart. I'm the red heifer sacrifice. I will touch you in such a... But you have to believe. You have to want that. 
You have to verbal. Jesus, I need you to heal my broken heart. Be my red heifer sacrifice. Remove this fear of death and the consequences of the emotions that I'm feeling because of someone. Remove that and make me whole again. I don't want to go through life hampered and hindered from serving you. I know you still have a plan. I know there's still a purpose for my life. And I want to walk through the rest of my life with that purpose and plan being fulfilled so when I finally re, re, uh, unite with my loved one in heaven, we're going to be here, well done. Yes. Well done. Well, well done. And our, our Jewish counterparts about all of this uh, teaching, they call it the crux of the Torah. The essence of the Torah. Isn't that something? And the essence of it encompasses many things, but it encompasses the fact that it's pointing to the ultimate work of the Messiah whose death on the cross conquers sin. And as part of his death, there was a resurrection, and in the tomb, he conquers death. Sin and death are conquered. Breaking news. Sin and death for the believer are conquered. Write that on your spiritual chalkboard 500 times. And if Christ conquered the grave, so are you. So am I. If Christ was resurrected, we will also be resurrected. And we'll head into eternal life, ruling and reigning as kings and priests forever and ever and ever and ever. And when you've been there 10,000 years, it'll be like you just begun. How? Because Jesus defeated death. Bam! (laughs) Come on, Jesus! Hebrews 2.14 says, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Jesus, the power of the devil and the power of God are not neck and neck. If you think that the power of the devil is neck and neck with the power of God, you're walking in deception. Now, no one here resembles that uh, remark. People that aren't here that think that. But there's from time to time, you got to stir yourself up in your most holy faith and you got to speak these things out. And remind yourself, faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. And not just hearing Billy Graham or Pastor Huck. You need to hear yourself. So when you're doing all your social media and driving down the road with your head down, I always know I can cut in on someone. I just look for the person with their head down. They weren't looking anyways, right? <laughs> Isaiah fifty-two fourteen. 
says the Messiah was marred beyond anything we could ever imagine. And this is one of the aspects of the red heifer sacrifice. In that it was totally consumed down to ashes. Like cremation. And the red heifer and the Messiah were totally consumed to represent how we are totally redeemed. He was totally consumed so you and I could be totally redeemed. So it does us no good to go through life moaning and groaning. We're totally redeemed. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I am redeemed. Turn and tell somebody, we are redeemed. What are we redeemed from? Every sin. What are we redeemed from? Every disease. What are we redeemed from? Set free from the power of death. Set free from the sting of physical death, as well as set free from eternal death. And the fact is, just like the blood of Jesus never loses its power, the the ashes in the red heifer sacrifice never lost their power. And we can get into the mixture but the, the ashes had an everlasting quality. In ancient Hebrew, uh, Maimonides, the great uh, middle-aged rabbi, he said there's only been nine red heifers ever. And the tenth one will be ushered in by the Messiah. Which means that the ashes of the red heifer... They would mix the ashes of the red heifer uh, with living water. And the living water came from the Messiah's pool, the pool of Siloam. Who's been to the pool of Siloam? Down in the Silwan neighborhood at the very bottom of the city of David. And that's where everybody would start their journey up the pilgrim road to the temple. You'd baptize yourself, immerse yourself in the pool of Siloam. This is where Jesus said, go, uh, go wash your muddy eyes in the pool of Siloam and you'll see again. Amen. It's a miracle place. And, uh, and so there was this everlasting quality. It's not like you needed... Uh, A gallon of it. One drop of the blood of Jesus was all it took to redeem the world from sin. And one little tiny drop of the ashes of the red heifer purified people that had come in contact with death. Is this helping anybody? Come on. I get excited about it. So the priest would take the blood of this sacrifice and he would sprinkle it on the altar towards the temple, the Holy of Holies. Guess how many times? Take a while, seven times. Then the sacrifice was completely burned down to the ashes, but... They uh, added some things to it as uh, this was going to be consumed. They added crimson dyed wool. They added hyssop. 
they added cedar wood, and these three elements all combined were the elements that were used in the purification process of a leper. Talk about symbolism. Talk about what Christ has done for us. And the devil keeps trying through religious demons to pull the wool over our eyes and thinking that it ain't finished. Newsflash, it is finished. And we are redeemed and we are redeemed from the power of sin and death. Now the one that was defiled and needed this purification because they had come in contact with death. They would uh, have a treatment, an antidote, a vaccine. And so on the third day, they would go to the priest who would a little dabble do you. And then again on the seventh day, come back and there would be another sprinkling of the ashes of the red heifer and that would bring about the purification and then on the eighth day the new beginning day the priest would declare new beginning to you bam praise God now here's the here's the rub and it's really the miracle The ashes of the red heifer were used to purify and restore the person who had come into contact with death. Please turn off your phone at the start of the service. But it had the reverse effect on the priest who offered the sacrifice. So you came in contact with death, you're defiled, you need this special treatment. But the one preparing the special treatment had the reverse effect. Meaning that those that get the ashes applied to them are pure... But those that, uh, those that prepared the sat are now impure. The paradox, the mystery. But it's the crux of the gospel. And it's showing us just how far reaching the sacrifice of Jesus really went. But how does it purify the impure and contaminate the pure? And what does all of that mean? Well, it means what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is like the greatest sacrifice and the greatest scripture that describes the greatest reversal of fortune in all of human history. A sinner becomes righteous, but the one that died to bring about that righteousness is now made sin. Sinners become sons of God 
Because the Son of God became sin. Jesus was innocent. He was blameless. But he gave himself willingly to be defiled by sin and death. So in turn, we, all of us, all of mankind, who were defiled, we were sentenced to death. But as a result of faith in what just went down, I believe that, bam! The power of sin is broken. The power of death is broken. Now go and learn more. And you don't have to stand on one foot doing it. So here's, here's the deal. The devil goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Right? He's not devouring me in the name and by the blood and by the word of my testimony. I bind and rebuke every work of darkness. I cast out every demon. I apply the power of the blood, the seven places Jesus shed his blood over my life, my family. You get the idea. That's how you do it. And you lather, rinse, and repeat several times a day for the rest of your life. Why? Because the devil, as this roaring lion, wants to guilt people, wants to shame people, wants to condemn people. Now there's a new thing. He wants to cancel people. You ain't canceling my Christianity. I am a blood-bought child of the king, and I'm not going to be canceled. And therefore, you, say me, you have overwhelming spiritual power residing on the inside of you. Your past no longer defines you. The devil no longer defines you. All of those bad emotional experiences no longer define you. Now they're going to try to define you. It's just like Pharaoh trying to come back and recapture the children of Israel who had been set free. You need the baptism in water. And if, if it didn't work the first time, then go in again. <laughs> it did work the first time. You just didn't believe it. But go back as many times as you need to go back so that you believe it. And bam, that's why in children's ministry, the people would come forward, the kids in altar calls, uh, many times. And, well, don't let them come. They came, you know, two weeks ago. They come as many, because you never know which one it finally clunks. <laughs> it clicks. <coughs> But anyway, you're a new creation, right? You got new potential, new vision. Your hope should be high. You got a whole new life in front of you. Don't live it in the rearview mirror. Amen. Are we okay with all of that? Okay. I get excited about all of this. Preachers don't get an exempt card. Right? Oh, he's a pastor. He's exempted from going through stuff. <laughs> I love how Pastor Tiz says it. We don't deny that the challenge is there. We just deny the right of that challenge to rule and reign in our lives. That thing is going down. Amen. 
You are a winner. You were destined to win. You were created to win. And you will win. Now, one of the unexamined parts of the sacrifice is what it means that it had to be done outside the camp. Okay, so Numbers 19 talks about it has to be sacrificed outside the camp. Now the question comes up, if each of the sacrifices were a shadow of good things to come, and if Yeshua's sacrifice corresponds to the red heifer sacrifice, then could it be true that Jesus was also crucified outside the camp, outside the city? Hebrews 13 says, did I get the scripture right, Hebrews 13, 12? So too Yeshua suffered death outside the gate in order to make people holy through his blood. Outside the gate, outside the camp. What does that mean? There's substantial evidence, and people study this. It hasn't really gained widespread traction. But there is a location outside the camp of the old city of Jerusalem that actually existed called the Mithkad altar. This is where the red heifer sacrifice took place. It was located outside the city, outside the camp, outside the eastern gate, the gate of the Messiah. And according to biblical requirements, it outside the camp means 2,000 cubics. Now, we don't use cubics anymore, so uh, the uh, the, uh, translation is 3,000 feet. Outside the camp means outside a perimeter, a radius of 3,000 feet, 1,000 yards, 10 football fields in any direction from the temple. But... There was an actual site. No one knows where it is. When I, uh, I always ask tour guides and people, where's the Mithkot altar located? And no one knows. But it's somewhere near the top of the Mount of Olives. And if you've been there or seen movies and things, the Mount of Olives, that's where at the bottom, that's the Garden of Gethsemane. And then uh, uh, Jewish literature, when you go back and study ancient wisdom, says there used to be an ancient bridge outside the eastern gate. And it went across the, the valley, the Kidron Valley, and it ended up about halfway up the Mount of Olives. And it, in uh, ancient wisdom, called that bridge the causeway for the heifer. So evidently it was built for many reasons, but especially so that they could reach outside the camp. In fact, uh, one... Uh, Uh, reading out of uh, one uh, piece of Jewish wisdom says, all the temple walls were high except the eastern wall because the priest that burns the red heifer 
and stands on the top of the Mount of Olives should be able to look directly into the entrance of the sanctuary where the blood is sprinkled. How many? Seven times. Isn't that amazing? So there's been through the centuries all the way back to the time of Constantine's mom on a fact-finding mission on where Christ was, when Constantine declared, bam, you're Christians now. Well, uh, they decided the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Others say it's the garden tomb. We've been to both places. Um, But those places, even though they're traditionally debated and accepted as probably the site where Christ would have been crucified, uh, they don't overlook the temple. And wouldn't you think that where Jesus was crucified, he would be looking into the presence of God when he said, Father, Father, why have thou forsaken me? Or why have you strengthened me for this moment, depending on you know, your interpretation. But those traditional sites, they're not outside the camp. They're not outside that thousand-yard perimeter. You know, the garden tomb is just right outside the Damascus Gate, just a, a couple blocks. They're not sacred altar sites. Okay? Ordained by God. God ordained... The temple and this site, these are where you do your stuff. It wasn't where the holy or where the other place is. And they're not visible by the temple. So the red heifer altar, this Mithkod altar, was the only altar outside the temple ordained by God with a view of the eastern gate, a view into the temple, a view into the holy of holies, and the gigantic veil they could see from that vantage point. They must have had some good eyes. So, think about this in Matthew 27. Go over to Matthew 27, verse 50. It says, Jesus passionately, this is uh, talking about the death of Christ. Jesus passionately cried out, took his last breath, and gave up his spirit. At that moment, the veil in the Holy of Holies was torn in two from top to bottom. Not from bottom to top. Why from top to bottom? Because it, it, it symbolizes heaven was the one involved with this. No man could do this. Because it was 60 feet or more high, 30 feet wide, and uh, at least 4 inches thick. So it wasn't like, oh, let's, let's send the disciples in on a, uh, a secret mission to tear the veil. So the Holy of Holies was torn in two, the earth shook violently, rocks were violently split apart, and graves were open. This is your New Testament. Then many of the holy ones who had died were brought back to life. In your Bible. They came out of the grave. In your Bible. And after Jesus' resurrection, they were seen by many people walking in Jerusalem. What the heck is going on? You, you just What a message being sent. 
Now look at verse 54. When the Roman military officer and his soldiers witnessed what was happening and felt the powerful earthquake, they were extremely terrified and said, there is no doubt this man was the Son of God. What did they see happening? The Scripture just told you. (laughs) They saw the, the veil. They saw people getting out of the grave. How could they see people? Because on the Mount of Olives, you've been there, that's where all the cemeteries were. They're there to this day. Some from way back before Jesus' time are still there to this day. When they saw and witnessed what was happening, they said, this truly is the Son of God. What did they see happening? Graves being opened. What what does the red heifer sacrifice do? It defeats death. (laughs) And all of a sudden, dead people are alive. Walking around. So, you know, we can argue it, and there are going to be others that will think it's not this site, but it is the site. There's no doubt the site of the red heifer sacrifice was up at the top of the Mount of Olives. And it was outside the camp, some 3,000. In fact, they've done the measurements. I don't know if they had a big, long tape measure. How did they measure? But it's from the temple to the top of the Mount of Olives is 3,000 feet. Very near the summit. It's the only location outside the gates where the temple, the veil, Holy of Holies was visible. Can't see it from Church of the Holy, can't see it from the garden tomb. There are special places and we can go there and uh, have fond memories, but uh, that not necessarily where Jesus uh, died for our sins. It was along a main road. That causeway of the heifer was not only for the, it was a main access point into the old city of Jerusalem. And the Romans always chose a main road to execute those they condemned because they wanted to send a message to the larger public. The place of execution in Hebrew is called Golgotha, the place of the skull. In Hebrew, I mean in Latin, it was transliterated Calvary. But even in the Latin, Calvary is still at its root connected to the skull. So whether you call it Golgotha or Calvary, it basically means the same thing, place of the skull. Some say that it was named place of the skull because of its proximity to all the graves, the place of the dead, the place of the buried. There's also a legend, tradition, might be true, uh, that says this is where Adam is buried. And, you know, we can debate that and heaven will know for sure. But it does make sense in the fact that the Bible calls uh, Adam the one that brought sin into the world. The first Adam brings sin into the world, and the Bible calls Jesus the last Adam. 
And so it does kind of make godly, heavenly father sense that this all wasn't just a random thing, that the one that brought sin into the world, the Lamb of God that was crucified and shed his blood to take away the sin, his blood falls on the very site where Adam is buried. And that's where this sin is forgiven, the curse is reversed, and the power of sin and death is broken. So whether that is, you know, I, I can't say for sure, but it makes sense. I mean, it's a, it's a good explanation, and I tend to yield to that. And then, of course, Matthew 27, uh, the site of the crucifixion not only depends on being able to see the temple, the veil, the holy of holies. How does the Roman uh, 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 guard say the centurion uh, see what's happening, what's just happened, without being able to see that part of it? Tombs opened and veils being split. The whole point of this is that Christ now represents the red heifer sacrifice. And we trust and believe in him with our whole heart that every sin is defeated, every curse is broken, even death itself is defeated. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? And any domination by the enemy to try to keep you in bondage For whatever aspect of death that we're talking about, that bondage is defeated. I rebuke it now in the name and by the blood of Jesus, our red heifer sacrifice. And we take dominion and authority over every enemy, including the fear of death. And we exchange all of that for the gift of God, eternal life, abundant life, everlasting life. Amen? Praise God. Now, I, I could go on. Let me just add these in the last two minutes. Uh, several postscripts. The Shabbat just after Purim is called Shabbat Parah, the Shabbat of the red heifer. So what is Purim all about? God turning your story upside down. So when you get the revelation that Jesus is my red heifer sacrifice and it's connected to Purim, you can repeat after me, uh, my story is turned upside down. Hallelujah. Supernatural power of God. There's some debate about the copper scroll that was found when the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. But the copper scroll was unlike any other scroll that they, came, that they brought out of Qumran. And on the copper scroll is all the ancient Hebrew inscribed. And it's an inventory of all the temp, hidden temple. Where's all the temple treasure hidden? It's a map. It's like... <laughs> But all on the copper scroll, supposedly, it, uh, it contains directions to find the container of the ashes of the last red heifer that was sacrificed. Amen. 
And as Andy pointed out, of course, the red heifer, just like the blue chilizon out of the Mediterranean used to make the blue thread for the seats, that disappeared. The red heifer disappeared. Many other signs and phenomenons have occurred since Jesus paid the ultimate price. But now, in the last years, they say that the blue chil- the chilizon that makes the blue thread, that crustacean creature, you know, that's reemerging all of a sudden. Now uh, the blue thread is coming back, and they also uh, believe that they have a red heifer, which they haven't seen one in nearly 2,000 years. So all of these are signs that the Messiah is near. The Messiah is coming soon. So thank God for revelation. Thank God for faith. Thank God for victory. Thank God for all the blessings and benefits that come through understanding this revelation. Amen? Well, if you receive that, give the Lord a praise.